mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to John 21. John chapter 21, last chapter of this letter written by John. And we're going to be beginning in verse 1. By way of remembrance, we are looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, he is risen from the dead, and he's shown himself alive already twice to the apostles. And it's interesting uh, that he has risen, he has resurrected, and he's in many ways training. That's what he does with pupils, with disciples. He's training them to understand that after being there for three years physically with them, that even though he has died and rose again, that he's still there with them all the time. And we see this with Thomas, and Thomas, and the last time that he showed himself, is that Thomas had a conversation with the boys that were witnessing to him, and he said, unless I see it, unless I touch him, unless I... uh, I, put my hands in his side, I will not believe. Now you could take that as a hard heart. I'm not going to believe unless I see signs and wonders. Be careful with what you say because sometimes, you know, we're being set up for lying signs and wonders. But the interesting thing that Jesus proves out in this as he reveals himself is that he is alive. He did rise. He does know what you're thinking. He does know what you're saying. He knows the hidden conversations and the hidden secrets of your heart. He knows everything. And he appears this second time specifically to reveal that to Thomas. And then when you close the chapter, you see that John has written these things specifically to instruct us in things that he wants us to know that we might believe. So he wants us to understand that even when you don't see God, he's here. We know that. I know you're like, wait a minute, we're, we're 21st century Christians. We know God's everywhere. Listen, when you see it on the pages and when you see what's going on and when you see the evidence, this is what we have is evidence that he rose from the grave. Notice when he appears, there's evidence that he was dead and now he's alive. There's evidence. And it's the same thing in the walk of a Christian. Listen, we were born dead. 
We met Jesus. We were reborn. We come alive. And there should be evidence. And it should be manifest. And people should see it. And then they should believe because now we become witnesses that we have risen from the dead. We've repented. We've changed the way we live. That's no longer who I am. I'm a new creation now. And we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to change our desires, to change our ways, to change where we go, to change how we act. And people should see that evidence that we're not dead anymore. We're not living in a selfish, dead place, in a tomb, uh, and, and tripping around in the darkness, but we're walking in the light as he is in the light. And I think that's very important because that's what John, or the gracious gift of God in his grace, would want to do with your life and my life, is to use us as a witness, to give us privilege to be those witnesses so that other people could see that he is alive, and not only is he alive, but he lives in our lives, and he's changing us. So I pray that there is evidence that you have come to life, not pretending, but the Holy Spirit washing and cleansing you, the Holy Spirit working and alive, putting a muzzle on your mouth, sometimes putting shut up on the mouth when we know better than to speak. So you can have all the wisdom and all the knowledge, but then speak at the wrong time, and, and, and I myself, I can, I can be just like Peter. I can put my foot in my own mouth. I can know everything about the Scriptures and, and go, wow, I have all, and then I have not love, the, the, you know, uh, the, the love chapter tells us. And I open my mouth, I insert my foot, and I maybe destroy trust or relationships that's been being built for years and that God is repairing. And just one word, when I decide that in my pride I want to say it, and it's true, wait a minute, speak the truth in love and have wisdom to know when and be led by the Spirit to know how because if the Spirit's not on the other side working in that heart, then you're in trouble uh, and you're going to reap your own fruit when you do that. So be very careful. Pray about it. Learn to be gracious to people. And this is what... I think God is showing us is that he's living, he's alive, he can live in our hearts and we can come out of the grave and begin to walk in the newness of life and we can become one of those wonders, one of those miracles, one of those signs, a trophy of grace, if you will, sitting on the Father's mantle that people come in and go, wow, how did that life change? There must be a real God and uh, we know that he is alive and he's not dead. He's sitting in the throne room now praying for us. He may be starting to stand up. I think it's really close where the father is starting to say, uh, go get him. And so be ready, be looking up, watching, waiting, and working for the Lord. So chapter 21, which many believe is, a, is what's it called, an epilogue. It was written afterwards. I don't know if you guys knew that. If you studied any, there's people that believe that, that, that uh, chapter 1 of John uh, was written as an introduction. It was written later. I don't know that. I don't see that. I don't. I don't understand some of the the the, the structure. I just see it as a continuation of the testimony of John here in chapter twenty one, and we're going to see uh, the third time that Jesus reveals Himself. Now, see, I was always thinking Peter was a three time guy, but it might just be that Jesus is a three time guy. You know, because he says, he says, uh, peace to you three times in, in after he rose in chapter 20. 
And then now he's going to appear to them three times. And then he's going to restore Peter three times. And he's going to come down to our level to meet us. And we're going to see these types in this. And so I pray that you're reading on your own and reading through the Bible and studying the scriptures and drawing there and digging deeper, digging down deeper. You know, it's, it's interesting that in the world we'll chase more money and we go, how much is enough? After your first million, how much is enough? Just one more dollar. And we keep digging for more money. But in the Bible, we don't keep digging for more truth. We don't keep digging for a deeper relationship. This is eternal. This is your soul. This is going to be forever. And this other stuff is going to burn or some thief is going to steal it. Or you're going to leave it behind for some ungrateful kids. Did I say that out loud? I didn't mean to. Um, just joking. I'm just kidding. Don't write me no emails, okay? I don't answer them anyway. So dig. Get in the Word. Draw near to God and find out the hidden things that He wants to share with His friends. It's, it's amazing some of the nuggets that are deep down in there that just, just, just warm my heart to, to draw near to God and spend time with Him at His feet. We're going to see that here. They're going to, have, they're going to sit here and, and, and Jesus is going to cook them food on the bank of, of the Sea of Galilee. Isn't that amazing? Even after he died and rose again, isn't it important what he's doing that since he rose again, he wants us to rise in the resurrection with him. There's going to be a resurrection of the living and the dead. And we want to be alive when he comes. So 21.1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but maybe 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the testimony of John so that we would believe. 
that we would understand restoration. We would understand relationship. We would understand how the Lord is training us and teaching us uh, and helping us to develop our spiritual feet, as you will, as we will learn to walk and run this race to win. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, and help us to glean uh, from this testimony the specific things that you would want for our heart, that that seed would be planted deep and it, it, and it would bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Have your way with us, Lord. We surrender here today, and we thank you that we can be privileged to be part of your body. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, 21-1, after these things, of course, transi transitioning, metatatao, um, Jesus shooed King James, showed himself again, so we know that there was more than one. Now, John only reveals three of them. I think there was more than three. Obviously, when you read, there's the other Gospels have different other times. Uh, you know, the one of them I think of uh, quite seriously, which is a great uh, testimony, is the road to Emmaus, where two of them's talking with him, and they don't recognize him. And then um, that, so I know there's other times, but specifically he wants us to see these three times. Uh, and then it says he tells us how he showed himself. He was, he was showed himself again to the disciples. Of course, that's your uh, uh, learners, your pupils, those that have been with him and walking with him at the Sea of Tiberias. Um, and in this way, he shewed himself. And, and, and then he tells you how. This is, when it says, in this way, he showed himself, it's on this wise, which is not language which I understand, but it refers, and then he gives a narrative of how he did it, and that's what's going to follow in the, in the rest of the verses. But it, it says the Sea of Tiberias, but it's really the Sea of Galilee, where he told him to go and wait. Look at John 6, 1. John 6, 1 clearly tells us what this is. Now, Tiberus means uh, from the river Tiber or as a river god. And so that's, that's something that somebody else would have called that river. And, and they're trying to, to, in some ways, help us to understand that things can sometimes be covered up. But in 6, 1, it says, After these days, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So we do know it's the same place. And he had told them to wait for him. I'm going to go before you to Galilee. And so we know that they went to where they were supposed to be. And so I've heard lots of narratives that say that they didn't. You know, I think the thing that we're going to see is that Peter becomes impatient. He doesn't want to wait he goes back to the familiar. And sometimes I can understand that in my life when things are happening and I don't understand, I don't wait on the Lord. I rush out in front of him and I become impatient instead of waiting on the work of the Holy Spirit, waiting on God to prepare the field and to prepare the people and to prepare that is what in front of me. And see, listen, we're, we're redeeming the time. We're making the most of the time, but we don't have to run over people in the time. God will take care of all of those things. Spend time with him and he'll take care of you. And this is what he's going to reveal to us. But it is the Sea of Galilee, which Galilee, we'll see in a minute, it, uh, when somebody's from Cana of Galilee, it means the circuit or the heathen circle, which is a very interesting thing. That that's where Jesus was at and where he come from. He spent most of his time there. 
and so this is the way that he showed himself uh, to his learners. Are you a learner of Jesus? Are you a pupil? Are you a disciple? I think that there's, there's no separating someone who says they're saved. If you're saved, you must become a disciple. And only, that's the only way you're going to bear fruit. And it's going to be manifest and evident that you are alive is if you become one that would follow. You become one that would learn. You become one that would get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. I can't imagine somebody being saved and being able to. Now, I know there's cases. I'm not going to be a legalist. The man on the cross wasn't able to get down and go to synagogue or get into a scroll or do anything. But we see the manifest fruit and evidence that his life changed when he begins to speak to the one on the left of Jesus and say, do you not even fear God? Listen. Do you not even fear God? Think about it. Think about what he's saying. His heart changed instantly, and he's talking about the fear of the Lord. So there's manifest evidence when somebody comes alive, and I can't imagine that the Spirit of God, who is, who is the, the revelation of God, and, and, and Jesus prayed that he would send him back, and that the Spirit of God would come in and seal a life, and then that life would not want to get into the word, we would not want to know such great love, would not want to follow. Now, see, we can see the disciples, they're just like us. I mean, this is the apostles, not the B apostles. It's not the B team. They're just like us. Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter's messing up. One moment he's just got these great insights, the next moment he's trying to rebuke Jesus because he won't get his mind right and get his mind fixed upon the things of God. So we're just like that. That gives me great courage. It gives me great uh, uh, respect for God. He's not expecting you to be perfect, but he wants you to remain in his hands. He wants you to learn to obey him. And this is what he's leading as he begins to exercise our senses to understand spiritual matters and not to stay on milk, but to grow and move to meat, the meatier matters of the gospel. And we'll see that, I hope, as we go through this. Now, notice this verse two, because he said this is how he shooed himself or on this wise, this is the way that he showed himself. And then two, and it, to me, it kind of reads a little bit. Uh, different than, than I would write it if I was going to write the narrative, but the Holy Spirit is always perfect. Now notice Simon Peter's here again. Every list you ever find of the disciples, Simon Peter will be first. It's interesting that Simon is from Simeon, which means heard, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then Peter means a little rock or chip off the old block or stone, and we become living stones. And everywhere you see that the list of these people that are following, herd and stone come first. Simon Peter, right? Thomas, called Didymus, or the twin, uh, which just means twin. Nathaniel, a Cana of Galilee. I told you we'd get to that. Nathaniel means gift of God or given of God. And then Cana is place of reeds or the heat. And then, and then of course, Galilee, uh, the circuit or heathen circle. And then he says, the sons of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee. And Zebedee means my gift. If you remember from our previous studies, Zebedee's wife was Salome. We've seen her before, which means peace, or it's a type of peace. And then his sons, John and James. Remember them? The sons of thunder. 
They were called the sons of thunder because people weren't doing it their way. People weren't, they, hey, Jesus, we've seen these people trying to cast out demons and they're not doing it the way we do. You want us to call thunder down on them? And Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you are of. Why would you want to call thunder down on them? We want to help them. We want to learn them. We want to be a witness in front of them. We want them to exercise and grow. We don't want to destroy them because they don't do it right or our way. You're going to see, they're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. And Jesus says, hey, and gives them instruction. And they listen, they obey. And that's what we want to do is draw near to people to encourage them to learn to hear the Spirit speaking and the voice of God and then obey and become part of the same body. All of us thrown in together in unity, in communion, if you will, as one. So Nathaniel, Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which is interesting. And then he says this, and two others of his disciples were together. So they're all together in this one place. Now, I don't know who the two others are, but that's a total of seven people, right? Total of seven people. And we know that there was 11 of them. Judas is probably dead at this time. And, but there was 11 of them. Where's the other four? Don't know. But who's the other two? Maybe it's me and you. I don't know. Maybe it's me and you. And we can, actually, we can actually step into the pages and go, we should have been there. I wish I could have been there, but we are there right now. Jesus just told him, blessed are you, Thomas, if you see and believe. Uh, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So if we're believing, it could be me and you, but it's not us. It's just two other disciples. But now we don't know who they were, and it can be anybody that believes afterwards. But think about this for a minute. I thought, oh, this is so powerful. If you add Jesus, there's eight of them. And that's the number of new beginnings. And I was like, that's crazy. There's seven of these guys there, and you add Jesus to the number, and you have a new beginning right there on the, on the bank of the Sea of Galilee, the heathen circle, right where they want to be. And now he's serving them instead of them serving the bread and handing it out to the 5,000 or the 4,000. You got Jesus right there cooking a meal. He's having a fellowship dinner with them. Just like he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door, if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into them and dine with them and he with me. And that's what they're doing. They're going to dine together because they heard the voice. They could have said, it's some nut on the bank. Don't worry about him. We're professional fishermen. We've been doing this forever. Don't, don't, don't move the net. Just stay right there where you're at, boys. We got this. But we've been here before, haven't we? Remember when he first called them? And they said, oh, teacher, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. But at your word, we'll put down the net again. And they put down the net. And then there were so many fish that the net was breaking. And they had to call the other boys. John and them come over and they all got together with their two boats. And they, and they got these nets to, to shore. And this is when he first revealed himself. And what did he tell him? He says, you'll no longer be fishers of men. Or excuse me, fishers of fish, but I'll make you fishers of men. Where's it at on our bulletin? You guys read that ever? It's Matthew uh, 4.19. I need some eyes. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, there's some difference here. There's some difference when you're concerned about souls and not concerned about feeding your belly and your physical appetite. 
But while they're waiting and becoming impatient, this one who's supposed to be the leader says, I'm just going back fishing. What I was called away from. But it's really not the profession of it as much as the heart of it. His heart was impatient. His heart didn't understand. His heart was confused. It's not the action. I still clean carpets. I still work for a living, but my heart is different why I'm there. I'm not there to clean carpet, even though I try to do the best job ever for the Lord. I'm not there to make money. Money has nothing to do with it. It's the souls of the people so I can be a witness out loud in front of them. And sometimes I'm a terrible witness. Sometimes people get on my nerves so bad, I have to walk away. I'm not trying to pretend that I'm the best witness that there is, but I want to be. I want to hear his voice. I want to obey. I want to be led in a way where I'll know what to say, even though I don't know their heart. I can see the fruit of their life, but I don't know their heart. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. I can't know that. But by how they act after I talk to them, I can understand whether they received it or not. I can see what kind of tree they might be. But you know what? The next day, God might change them completely. That seed might actually take and get watered by the Holy Spirit. But when you water your, your heart with the world, the many waters of the world, and you're watering your heart with the world, I can guarantee you nothing but death will grow. But when you water the seed of God's word in your life with the Holy Spirit, nothing but life can grow. But you can choose at any time to go which direction you want. It's up to you. I'm impatient with this. I was trying to grow, so now I'm going to read some books. I'm just going to take a shortcut like the devil tried to get Jesus to do, and I'm going to read a book, and I'm going to get some knowledge. It might be artificial AI, but I'll get some knowledge. It's in the relationship. You have to go through it. You have to have your exercises sense, or your senses exercised. It's called running a race. And God is training them. And he doesn't come and go, them idiots are fishing again. He comes and he's very warm. He comes, he's very loving. He comes and he puts out what they need. Food, because they didn't catch nothing. Listen to me, this is very important stuff because this is God with you. So many people come into church and they go, man, a spiritual warfare, I've been fighting the devil all week. No, you're fighting God. You're fighting God's work in exercising your senses and training you as you surrender to authority, as you surrender to the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you belong to God, believe me, the devil can't get you. But you can jump out of God's hand and go let the devil smack you around. You can live like a fool and you don't have to be a fool. The Bible says such were some of you. I can act like a fool and not be a fool. Because I have not said no to God. But I can say no to God in a specific instance. Go and wait in Galilee. I'm going before you. I'm going fishing. I like to fish. Well... I made you fishers of men, not pursuing stuff to feed your appetites. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man abide in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. 
And listen, we are allowed to be apart from him, even as the bride. We can go over here and ignore. Look at the divorces all over. You see them everywhere because the bride doesn't listen to the head. That's what happened in the garden. It's good old-fashioned sin. But it goes back deeper. It's all back to authority. Who is the authority? Why do we see lawlessness abounding on the planet? It's not just lawlessness like, man, they just, they just blew up that town. They burned it down. They shot a whole bunch of people. No, 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 no. Every bit of lawlessness is going on. What we used to call the norm, what used to be the laws of syntax, what used to be the laws of linguistics, what used to be the laws of business, what used to be the law of people, the Word of God is now being corrupted and there are no laws. It's whatever feels good, do it. Whatever truth you want to believe, believe it. There's no real truth. That's lawlessness that's abounding. We don't even follow math. We don't follow anything. How can you say there's not two genders? You're lawless. And that's what they want to train us to believe, that now we can change it every single week. Whatever it says on your computer, on your phone, that AI tells you, now you've got knowledge, and now you can be lawless with them. Just Keep up. Keep up. This is what we got to do now for this sickness. This is what we got to do now for this problem. This is what we got to do now. Oh, that didn't work. We're not going to admit that we didn't know. We're just going to say, now you need to do this. We're still the authority. No, you're not. You never have been. You're pretending. You're playing. You're being led by the devil. You might know it. You might not. Doesn't matter to the child of God. The child of God is supposed to be here in the spirit of God and led by him. The child of God is listening for the voice of God. He knows us and we follow him. We're in the way with him. We're keeping up with him. We're doing the will of God. We're not supposed to be doing the will of the world and supporting their mess trying to fight for their mess, we're supposed to be listening to God. Very difficult to do, easy to talk about. I mean, sitting right here, I can talk about it real easy. I can talk about it all day. But when you get up and you go back out into the marketplace and the first person smarts off or the first person lies or the first person, you fill in the blank. I don't know what God's dealing with you right now to exercise your senses, but you hear the nonsense and then you go, how do I react? How do I deal with this? And we want to do it in love, but we also love, speak the truth in love. But there's times when you're not supposed to speak. Well, how am I supposed to know? You got to be spirit led. You got to exercise your senses. You got to learn to wait and see because you'll be baited into it so that you can learn a lesson. You'll be fishing on the wrong side of the boat and think these people are the ones you're talking to. You're really supposed to be talking to these people over here. And this is a distraction. Remember in the book of Nehemiah, God sent Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah stepped out. He was the Lord's, or the king's cupbearer. He wasn't supposed to speak. He wasn't even supposed to have a frown on his face. And he was unhappy that the walls of Jerusalem were not built. And the king seated, and the king could have killed him right then. The king normally would have somebody killed that was in his presence and didn't have joy because he would think there was some sinister scheme going on to kill him. And he spoke up. And then God sent him back with all the letters, everything he needed to rebuild the walls. See, we're those living stones of that wall. We're rebuilding the wall. We're rebuilding it in our spiritual lives. And what happened? Here comes Sambal and Tobias. Here comes all these people trying to distract him. 
All these things are trying to, to call him over here, and you need to come over here and talk to us for a minute. And all they were trying to do was pull him away from what God had called him to do. And that's what's going on everywhere. For every saint that has surrendered to Jesus, there's something else out here that the devil is saying, hey, turn in here. Hey, go here. Hey, do this. Hey, what about these people? Do I really want to? It's a lonely place to be the bride of Christ, I'm telling you. But there's joy in our fellowship. It can be lonely out there in the marketplace. You can be thinking that there's another Christian next to you, and then they don't know nothing about the Bible. They don't know nothing about the Holy Spirit. They don't know nothing about a life with Christ. Now you got to decide, am I supposed to tell them? Or if I tell them, well, they go tell the human resource department, and I get in trouble and get canceled. So you have to have the wisdom of God and the Spirit of God. You've always had to have it. In their days, listen, in their days, they killed them. Nero was killing them. They said, Nero said, you bow down to me. I'm the only God. And if you don't, then we're going to kill you. We're going to take you and put you inside animal skins and sew you up and throw you into the lion's den and let the lion come after the blood and the gore and kill you through these skins. Isn't that crazy? Wait a minute. And God allowed it? He allowed Hitler. But it was, for a, it was for a training. It was for a teaching. It was for the world to see. And guess what? Israel's a sovereign nation right now because of Hitler. Israel would not be a sovereign nation right now unless the world felt such pity upon them that they decided to give them their homeland back. God uses death to bring life. And he brought his firstborn son, Israel, back to life, May 14th, 1948. Look at the pain and the suffering that they went through as a people to get there. Oh, no, we don't do that. We don't teach that here. We Crossless gospel. We don't teach anything about pain and suffering and lessons and senses being exercised and growing and sanctification. We just preach, oh, it's all joy, joy, joy. Really? Then you leave most of the Bible out. And if you leave the Bible out, then he's going to leave your name out of the book of life. And if you add some of that nonsense to it, he's going to add all the plagues in the book to you. We need to get real about what this book says. And that's all I'm trying to do. I'm just sitting up here talking about it. Hopefully, um, you can, by the power of the Spirit, grab a hold of some of it and say, you know what? I need to start doing something different here. But all we're doing is abiding. Listen to me. You don't have to go, okay, now I'm going to go start lifting 20 pounds instead of 10. Just abide. Just say, Lord, what next? Just get in the word, prayer, and fellowship and do the natural. He turns it into supernatural. He even exercises your senses as you disobedient. What the devil means for bad as you listen to a lie, God uses for good. Pretty amazing stuff where he... He's got it taken care of if we would just listen and surrender. So eight of them, well, excuse me, they don't see Jesus, but he's there. He's in their midst when Peter says, Peter says, listen, Peter says, um, Wupago Huleo, I can't even say it. But he doesn't say ego of me like your new King James is translated here. I am going fishing. 
I am is ego of me. And that's not what is in, in the Greek. It says, listen, and because it, it sounds really funny, I go a fishing. See, he's from Kentucky like me. I go a fishing. It's not ego of me. It's a, it's, it, I'm not making a big deal about it, but I just want you to know it doesn't say I am going fishing. But see, in, 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 in our culture, and, and, and I'm not being mean, we try to correct language all the time. And then when while we're correcting the language, the person who's being corrected doesn't like being corrected, so they miss the point. And so listen, I he says I'm going fishing. The, the the key point is I. He's doing what he wants to do. He's not doing what the Lord told him to do. That he would go before him. Isn't that what the Spirit does? He goes before us. Isn't as many as are led by the Spirit of God? These are the children of God. Not as many as go do what they want and then say, come on, Spirit, follow me. Jesus, even as he's, as he's getting ready to go into Jerusalem, he's getting ready to be crucified and die, he said, these things are going to happen, and I will go before you to Galilee. I will go before you to the heathen circle. I'm going to always be in front of you if you wait on me. To, to, to deal with all the heathen circle, to convict them of their sin. And when you show up, it'll be easy. When you show up, there's going to be a net full if you do it on the right side. You know, what's amazing is, and, and I can't prove this because I'm, uh, again, unlearned and from Kentucky. But the reason it's talking about night and day we are, oh yeah, those are like uh, uh, types, aren't they? Darkness is, uh, no. Listen, they fished at night because the nets were so big and bulky, the fish could see and swim away from the nets. So they fished at night. The reason it's amazing to, to them to go, oh, come on, teacher, why would we cast our nets in the daytime? Because they don't fish in the daytime. Because the fish can see to get away. That's, I've been told that. All I'm doing is reflect, reflecting that to you. Fish know where to swim. They can see something in front of them and swim away. But if you give them a little bit of bait, woohoo! Lightly salt. Simon Peter said to them, he's looking at them. There's six of them there, number of man. I go a fishing. Now remember, he's supposed to be the leader. They said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat that night. They caught nothing. And that night they caught nothing. And that night they caught nothing. We are going with you means association. And think about this for a minute, because whether you think it, whether you believe it or not, you're probably leading somebody somewhere. They are your associates. They see you. If you talk to people and you're making decisions, they see those decisions. And see, this is part of the witness. It's part of the evidence. It's part of why we need to be concerned about how we're living and who we're fellowshipping with, because people watch and they learn more by watching than they do by hearing sometimes but they don't change their heart they just start meeting the same example that you're setting they try to meet that example and if you try to meet that example in the flesh 
it's going to always end in death. But if you're being led by the Spirit and following somebody who's following God, then your life's going to change. But if you're just living in the flesh, following somebody living in the flesh, that's going fishing, doing their own things, I, 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 you're not going to grow. You're not going to have your senses exercised. But it's so much more comfortable to the flesh because it's the things that you already like to do. It's the things that you already want to do. You know, that's, a, that's the whole thing. When I, I talk to, uh, I always say this, but that, you know, to a wife, that's not submission when you're doing what your husband wants to do because you want to do it. It's not submission, guys and gals, when you're doing what your boss is doing because you think it's the right thing to do. Submission comes when your mind thinks, oh, I wouldn't do it that way. Yeah, but who is the authority here? What are we doing here? See, it's all about authority. And are we going to exercise our authority? I, I, I wouldn't do it that way and cause contention. Now, there's certain things. If it's spiritual, you need to be very careful. But if it's a physical thing and you're arguing about physical matters, which create a spiritual problem, now you're in different waters. So be very careful. I'm just telling you. If you want if you want to understand what you're supposed to be doing in the spirit, first learn what's my place in life. What's my place in the kingdom of God? What's my place in the physical? Now, how do I live? Who's my bosses? Who's my authority? Who's my elders? I mean, the Bible even tells us to submit to one another. Hupotasso, it's a military ranking. Well, how do I know who to if I don't have the Spirit of God? How do I know who to submit to if I don't know the Word of God? I could be submitting to a Joel Osteen or a Kenneth Copeland or some other liar and go, man, I got it going on. I'm living for Jesus. No, you're not. You're going to hell. If you submit your spiritual life to a Joel Osteen, to a Kenneth Copeland, to a T.D. Jakes, to an Oprah Winfrey, to any of these people, you're going to hell. Because you're giving them authority over your life when they are from the devil. They're the spirit of Antichrist. Oh, I was listening the other day because people always say, oh, you shouldn't name names from the pulpit. I see Paul naming names. And you know what? He only named a few names because it wasn't that many names yet. The, the, the saturation of the Antichrist spirit and the false teachers weren't that many. He named everyone he knew. That was trying to teach something different. Some of them he just called them the Judaizers. Because they all fit in the same bucket. Listen, you gotta you gotta call out when I mean gasoline! Don't pour that gasoline on the fire. Ah, just let them do it. There's just a little gas. I don't think that's love. I'm sorry. I'm off base. We'll get back together with what we were doing. But listen to me. Who are you giving authority in your life? Do you understand authority? Because you cannot be the authority until you understand the authority. You cannot be the authority until you learn to follow authority. Well, there's a lot of people, they're giving props and letting them be the authority when they know nothing about being authority. They know nothing about leading. They know nothing about following and yet we give them. We're taking it. We're flipping it upside down. We're taking everything and giving it back to the youth. That's upside down for the Bible. 
They haven't had their senses trained. They're still youth. They got a whole bunch of new ideas that was trained in a college or in a school or someplace behind a desk, never applied in the backside seminary where you have to go and walk it out and get blisters on your feet, calluses on your knees. I'm not against any young people, believe me. That's why I would preach that way. We need to train them in the way they're supposed to go. Jesus is training us in the way we're supposed to go. And yet we ignore his instruction. Notice in the text, they're going to obey his instruction. Because that's true worship is when we obey. When we hear his voice and we go, even, we don't, even when we don't understand it, we just obey his voice. And he's, and he's very gracious and long-suffering and patient with us as we learn to do this and turn our hearts toward home. So they're going with him because he is the uh, uh, supposed leader, uh, the unofficial leader. He's, he's uh, going somewhere. They go, this is normal. This is what we've been doing. We'll go fishing. Um, and they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. It's important. I mean, it immediately means straight away. But this is the word that was used for straight. In Matthew 3, 3, the first time it was used with John the Baptist coming and making straight the way of the Lord. Think about it. He's not making it. I mean, this word is implied and put there on purpose. But Peter's not making it straight for them. He's taking them somewhere off course, out from under the covering, away from what they're supposed to be doing. And he's not making the way straight. And I think it's placed there on purpose so that we can see that, is that this is not the way to do what I am doing. We want to do what the Lord's will is. They got into the ship. King James says ship. I think it's funny. I... I, I uh, uh, looked up the word and the word doesn't mean boat even though I, I think they got in a boat a little boat I don't think they went out and got into what we would think is a ship but they could have but it's fellowship it's a fellowship that we're supposed to get into so I like the word ship better um, I'm one of those that thinks that worship should have been spelled with an a because I'm from Kentucky because it's a warship and so it's just my opinion. It should have been spelled W-A-R. <laughs> and it's, uh, never mind. You guys think I'm crazy, but you're right. Um, listen, they're supposed to be going, right? But not fishing for fish. And their nets are going to be empty. Because their hearts are in the wrong place. And they're following a guy that's a little bit confused. and doesn't know what to do. And he's a little impetuous and impatient. And um, he hasn't been restored yet. And Jesus told him, when you return, strengthen the brothers. And that's going to be the last part of the chapter, God willing, next week. So immediately, straight away, they get into uh, the ship. And that night... It's dark. It's the hours of darkness. But it can mean or be used in biblical usage as a time of moral stupidity and darkness. Same word. Can be used as a time of moral stupidity and darkness. Listen to me. Because they've 
went to do something that I want to do because I don't understand. So I went back to the comfortable. I went back to the place that Jesus called me out of. That's moral stupidity and darkness. And you're going to catch nothing. Think about that long and hard. These are expert fishermen. This is what their families did for a living. This is what they do. It wasn't because they didn't know how to fish. It was because Jesus didn't let them catch anything there. He's training their senses that that's not where they fish at now. He's training them. You can go through all the motions, but you're not going to be happy there. You're not going to catch nothing there. You're not going to bear any fruit there because there's nothing left there but death. It's empty. It's empty pursuits just like the tomb is empty. He is risen. The grave is empty. So it's an empty pursuit back chasing. It's on the wrong side of the boat even. But these are professional fishermen. But they're supposed to be concerned about souls. Oh, wait a minute. What's before souls? The will of God. Faithfulness to what God has said to go do. Now, I remember when I first, when I first uh, got hired on at Harvest Lafayette and I was working at Trinity Mission and, work, and all of a sudden, man, I'm at Trinity and now I'm going to be part-time at Harvest. I'm going to be part-time at Trinity. And, and Tom told me I was going to be a prison, do prison ministry and I was going to go to the jail. And, and then they bought the coffee house, the old, the old Danzer topless bar. And Tom goes, I need you in there, Greg, taking care of that. And I go, you told me I was going to go to the jail. I don't want to be a construction manager. I need you in there, Greg. I was so mad. I was, I was tearing some stuff up. Believe me, I can hit some stuff hard with a hammer. Big old heavy hammer when you're mad. But I was so mad. I thought I was being hired to be a pastor. But then while I'm tearing a wall down, here comes little Mikey Weatherford. And here comes Ray Kallenberger. Here comes, here comes the guys of the neighborhood. And I'm still mad. But then I look up and I realize that, the, that God was bringing the people to find out what was going on in the re reconstruction of that building. And that's what he wants with our lives, the reconstruction of our lives. He brings people to find out how in the world did you change? What in the world happened that there's new construction going on in your life? And so we think that we want to do it according to what we see. And I seen this picture. I'm going to go into the jail and I'm going to share with the sheriff. And I got to do that. I got to share with three of them right in a parking lot. God always blesses more than you can ever expect or imagine. But you have to obey the authority in your life, even when it looks like the wrong thing. I'm like, that's not what you told me. You told me if I come on, I could do prison ministry. Those guys are prison ministry. They're in prison of their sin. And one of them is now back in prison for murder. So he's going to be in there for a long, long time. Hmm. Two of them. Bill Lau is too. Mexican Joe's dead. Several of them. Bill's dead now? Didn't know that. So a bunch of them's dead. And I could have ignored that authority and said, nope, nope, that's not what you said. I'm going to go start my own church, do my own thing, be my own person. And I'm not listening to you. I am a fisherman. 
But God taught me early to listen because my whole life had been in rebellion and everything about salvation is coming back underneath authority. I don't care what the world gives you in rights. I don't care what the world gives you in the Constitution. I don't care what the world gives you on a piece of paper if it doesn't line up with God and what He has given you in the spiritual realm and called you to do to return. All that becomes Babylon and confusion and you think, I'll just sue. I'll just fight. I'll just get another job. Set your butt down and come underneath the authority until God moves you out. God knows what He's doing. Believe me, I'm preaching to myself. I used to have the three-time rule with Tom Kemp. He'd tell me to do something, and I didn't agree. I'd tell him three times. Three times. Tom, we don't need to do that. Tom, we don't need to do that. And then I would obey. If it was digging holes and they filled up with water, it didn't matter to me. I was going to obey the authority and learn not to obey myself. But listen, even because I believe that my heart, if my heart's right in following authority, God will bless even something done wrong as opposed to my heart being bad and me fighting authority, he can't bless that. Listen to me. Listen to me. Stop fighting authority. Everything's about authority. Who thought he could do 14 verses? We'll get it. We're fine. Notice what they caught. Nothing. Because they were fishing on the left side. They were fishing in the world. They caught nothing. Nada. Expert fishermen can't catch nothing. Not even one. Not one fish. Think about that when you think, some guy told me once, and this was a guy who was in prison for quite some time. He's not alive anymore either. He did 32 years in prison. He said something about Joe Olstein, and I told him how he was from the pit of hell. And he goes, well, he's got to be doing something right. He's filling up that Coliseum. Hasn't caught one. Fishing on the wrong side of the boat. I'm not saying everybody in the building's unsaved, but if they are saved, they're not going to stay in the building very long. They will leave. They'll jump out of the net. They'll see in the darkness that net. They'll see it. God will let them see it, and they will walk up out of there. They won't stay there. It's sad when they stay there, but they're choosing to do what they want to do instead of coming to Jesus and choosing to do what the Spirit of God is doing. Spirit of God didn't lead them up in there. Well, there's a few people, if you've ever seen the videos, they stand up in the middle of the, the auditorium while Joel's preaching, and they go, Thus saith the Lord! And they start reading from a Bible, and they have to come and get them and drag them out of the building. That's the same. They drag them out because somebody's speaking truth. I think it's funny. Okay, I better quit. Let's get back. They caught nothing. They caught nothing. But then there's a new day, right? Man, it was dark. Man, we went back to our pursuits. I'm going fishing. I'm going to fishing. Verse 4. But, contrast, when the morning had now come, new day, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Listen to me, because we complain, we throw fits. Jesus is standing there watching us in our own pursuits, complaining, grumbling, ain't caught nothing. He's standing there, but we don't even know it's Jesus training us. We don't know it's Jesus allowing it, Jesus calling us out of it. 
They don't know it. But he's, again, we got, the, we got several things going on. Training of their senses is the main thing. But he's wanting them to understand that he's there. They can't recognize him, how far it is. But they're going to have to make a decision here in a minute. Is this the voice of God? Am I still fishing on the wrong side of the boat? Am I still pursuing the wrong things? Am I mindful of the things of God? We went there Friday night. We might go there today too, so I don't know yet. Five. Then Jesus said to them, listen, it's the voice of God. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Children. Children. Have you any food? Listen, the word's meat in the King James, and it does mean meat. Listen, you would think, and he's going to use the word later down here in verse 6, he's going to use the word ichthus. Ichthus, which means fish. They're fishing for fish, but he says, do you have any food? Do you have any meat? Because he's trying to train their senses so that they can move from the milk to the meat. Listen to me. Listen, this is very important. Jesus doesn't say, Catch any fish? Why does he not say, did you catch any fish? Because it really wasn't about fish either. It was just about them going back to do what they wanted to do. Feeding their physical appetite. It's interesting that you go to Leviticus, if you're reading with us, we're going to be going through Exodus and we'll get to Leviticus here pretty quick. And in Leviticus 1, there's there's, there's five sacrifices basically in the first five chapters. The first one's a burnt offering. The burnt offering, every bit of it goes to God. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Everything was for, 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 for God. Complete everything. I surrender all. Living sacrifice. That's the first one. It means everything goes up in smoke. A, a smooth, or a savoring aroma to God. The second one is called a meat offering in the King James. But it's really Bread. It's a grain offering in the New King James, but it's a recipe for making bread. There's no meat involved, but it's called meat offering because he's the bread of life. And they're fishing on the wrong side of the boat, and he says, you finding any meat? And there's the bread of life standing there talking to them, and they're wanting bread. They're wanting something to eat, but they don't understand that they have to be involved with him in order to bear fruit. And they've went off into their own pursuits, fishing on the wrong side of the boat. I know, can be hard to understand. If you look at Leviticus and you see the meat offering, the grain offering, you find out that it's a recipe to make bread, but not just regular bread. They would eat bread that was made out of rough grain. They would just crush it and make the bread and go, let's eat that. But it says fine flour. So what they would have to do is get up, early in the morning, go out to the field, plow the dirt and the field, and then go back out and put seed in the ground and wait for the grain to grow. And they had to trust God the whole time. And then they would have to harvest. And the first harvest they would give to God. And then they have to harvest again and trust that the rains wouldn't destroy all the grain. And then they would bring the grain into themselves and they would go, wow, now we can thrush it. We can crush it. We can prepare it so we can have some meat, some bread. And then God said, no, I want it to be fine flour. So you had to crush it again. You had to break it again. You had to go through it again and get it real fine and prepared the way that God said in his instruction. 
and then you could make some bread according to his recipe, and then you could enjoy it. That takes involvement, but it takes a whole lot of faith and trust and waiting on God and doing it his way, because what if the monsoons come and the rain washes away the crop, and I've already given my first fruit to God, and there's nothing left? I mean, he's, I don't know where he got his bread and fish at, but he's cooking them a meal right on the bank there. He provides for all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All he's calling us to do is be faithful to follow his instructions. And yet we make up our own little plans. We build our own little churches. We end up apostate. We ignore what he's saying. And we think we can do it a better way because I can actually see this. Why don't I just go buy some bread? No, he wants you to be involved with the body of Christ. He wants you to be involved with his word, with his doctrine, with his instruction. He wants you to keep it. And if you cease listening to instruction, you will stray from the words of life. It's in Proverbs 19, 17, I think. You'll stray from the words of life if you cease listening to his instruction in how to do things. And where are they at? They're in a boat fishing on the wrong side because they didn't want to wait. Now, you can blame Peter. But they all were ready to go. I don't see any narrative where they said, Peter, whoa, 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 we're supposed to be waiting. He said he would go before us. We're going to wait. He rose, remember? See, Peter don't believe that yet, I don't think. I'm not convinced. If you look back in the last chapter, John looked in and he believed. Peter went in and investigated and went out. Never says he believed. Never says he understood. He's still confused. He still doesn't understand what's going on. He said, I'm going fishing. This is crazy. But he had already said, even if all leave you, I'll never leave you. See, and, and Jesus is teaching him to quit living in the flesh, start living in the spirit, and then have your senses exercised so that you can understand spiritual things. And it's not something that somebody arrives. It's something that you just do. You just obey. You you learn to trust him. And every day you're growing more and more and more and more in trusting him because you see that he comes through. Think about it. Peter walked on the water. Remember that? They're scared to death. They're all like, oh, it's a ghost. And the Lord says, it's I. Calm down. It's I. And Peter says, oh, if it's you, doubting Thomas, if it's you, Jesus, bid me to come to you. And what does he do? He says, come. And Peter, I mean, think about it. He's a pretty bold dude. He stepped out. Who steps? Who's a fisherman that's professional, that knows everything about the water that you're going to sink automatically? He stepped on top of that water. He's growing. He's going. But then he begins to look around. He goes, "Why? I'm not supposed to be doing this. I do that all the time. I look around. I go, I'm not supposed to be teaching the Bible. I'm from Kentucky. I never finished high school. I never finished grade school. You want to know the truth about it? I checked out long before. I didn't listen to them. I just went there. But it's got nothing to do with who we are. It's got to do with who God is. And if we're going to listen to his instructions, and I'm in no way trying to point at me at all. We want to lift him up. He's the one that's able. He's the one that will draw all men to himself if we lift him up. But so many people want to trust in. I'm not saying you can't use some stuff that you might know or learned or got or gained. God uses every bit of it. But don't use it and ignore God or you'll be fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Little children, have you got any meat? 
Look, they answered him, no. Look, there's no, there, there was no argument. There was no, yeah, there was a storm last week and the fish were probably out deeper. There was no conversation. There's nothing. There's just a no. And then there's silence on the water. You guys ever heard the, the fishermen's tale? This is what lies do to you when you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. You guys ever heard that? And, and uh, uh, one bright morning in the middle of the night, two dead boys rose to fight back to back. They faced each other. They drew their swords and shot each other. One deaf policeman heard the noise, went out and shot the two dead boys. If you don't believe my story is true, ask the bland man. He saw it too. That's the old fisherman's tale. You know, you got the one that got away was this big. And that's an old fisherman tells that I got. I, somebody told me that as a kid. And I, and I remember it perfectly because it's such a lie. Isn't that, isn't that the heart of people? We remember that. One bright morning in the middle of the night, two dead boys rose to fight. Back to back, they faced each other, drew their swords and shot each other. One deaf policeman heard the noise, went out and shot the two dead boys. If you don't believe my story's true, ask the blind, blind man. He saw it too. That's what's, that's what's next on the, on the horizon for our world. They want you to believe something like that and go out and live by it in their graveyards as they become your authority over everything. They didn't catch nothing. And what did he say to them? Man, here's some instruction. Here's some counsel. Here's some love. Here's, some, here's something to help you in life. You're in the wrong place. You're, out, you're not even where you're supposed to be, and I'm going to meet you here. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side, not the wrong side, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they obeyed. Look, they could choose not to obey. They cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Notice what verse that is. It's verse 6. It's the number of men. You have a choice when God gives instruction. You can choose to obey or you can choose to disobey you can choose wait a minute i've been a fisherman all my life we fished all night and it's morning we're not going to cast it on the other side we're not going to cast it on the right side we're just going to come into shore and we're going to go buy some snickers down at the store and get some honey buns so but they did they cast it on the right side. Why? Because they've heard this before. But notice it's the right side, not the left side. We've, we've talked about this where when, when uh, Christ comes, he's, he sends in the angels and he's going to put uh, the goats on his left and he's going to put the righteous on his right side. It means the place of honor. Cast, cast it on the right side. Uh, and it means the place of honor and authority. That's why I'm talking about authority. This is the right side, the place of honor and authority where you listen to instruction and you honor God as the only voice and the only authority. But the authority just so happens to tell us to follow the laws of the land until they tell you not to listen and honor God. And then you can actually go and be civil disobedient. But you also have to know that even when you choose to obey God in civil disobedience against man, that man still might punish you and God will allow it to continue to train you and move you to places where you can be a witness to others. So, yeah, well, God told me I don't have to listen to you because uh, you're wrong. 
well, then uh, you're fired. And God will allow that all day long to teach you to trust in Him and not your job, to teach you to know when to speak and how to speak. I had a boss once and he wanted me to get into a car all the time with another woman and I said no. I, I didn't say it like that. See, I said, I said, listen, I'm a married man and I don't think it's right for me to be in a car with another woman and I don't know what the devil is going to get across town and tell people, so I prefer not to do that. I'll drive my own vehicle. I'll pay for my own gas, but I'm not going to ride in the same car with another woman. And they respected that. Some bosses don't. And you have to find another job. Because you don't want, you don't know what the devil is going to get across town and, and the witness is going to be, I saw Greg in a car with another woman. The destruction's already done. The damage is there. But the world thinks that's utter nonsense that you would not respect that woman by riding in their car. God doesn't think it's nonsense. So they, they, they obeyed. They listened to instruction. They cast their net on the right side, not the left side, my opinion. And he says, and you will find some. He doesn't say you might do better over there. We're talking about God in the flesh, Jesus risen from the dead. He says, cast it on the right side and you will find some. Listen, you obey God and you're going to bear fruit. Even if you die, you bear fruit of righteousness because you listened. You obey. You listen to the instruction. And you trusted by faith. Actually, in biblical usage, it's really funny. The word find here means come to know God. That's what the word find means. In biblical usage, it means that you will find, seek and you will find. And biblical usage means to come to know God. See, when you obey God's voice, you're going to grow in a relationship. You're going to go through some experiences, but you're going to grow and you're going to come to know and trust Him and walk better. And there were so many, they, could, they didn't have the strength. Abel is the strength. They didn't have the force. They couldn't even pull it in because of the multitude of fish. The first time, remember their nets were breaking and they had to call another boat to come over. Luke 5, 6. Interesting in this one, we're told that it didn't break the net. And guess what it says in here? He uses the word ichthus. It's really fish. Because that's what they should have been doing was obeying God's voice and they got what they really wanted, what they needed. Let's look at really quick. I just want to take you over to uh, before oh, we're out of time. Look over in Hebrews. In Hebrews, the entire book is written to people that are becoming apostatized to Jewish people that are going to walk away from the synagogue and walk away from Jesus 
or excuse me, they're walking away from Jesus so that they don't lose their synagogue. They don't lose their Jewishness, their religiosity. They don't lose their genealogies and their heritage. So they're going to walk away from Jesus. The entire book is written for that purpose. So, and when somebody tells me you can't do it, I'm like, well, why did we write a book about it? Why did Paul take time to sit down? And I believe Paul wrote it. And he's talking to them about Jesus uh, 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 being the priest uh, uh, of the order of Melchizedek. Uh, and he gets to it in 512. He was talking to them and he said, I have much to say and, and, and hard to explain it to you because you become dull of hearing. Now listen, Peter and them heard exactly what he said. Cast it on the right side. They heard. But if you become dull of hearing, it's hard to explain spiritual things. And that's what Paul was trying to explain to the church, uh, to the Hebrews, so they wouldn't walk away from Jesus because no other Messiah is coming. And he says this in verse 12, 5, 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the rudiments, the, the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Notice, babies drink milk. Newborns drink milk. I'm not going to talk about a bunch of that. For everyone, I'm just going to move because I want to get back to our text. For everyone who partakes only of milk, you know, people always saying, too deep, too deep, too deep, that's too much. I don't want to dig that deep. I just want, just read the surface of it. Listen, I know if I read this Bible to you, your life will change. But if I read this Bible to you and you have the Spirit of God, the Spirit's going to have you go, what did that mean? I want to dig in. I want to go deeper with God. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Don't we want to know the word of righteousness? For he is a babe. Look at verse 14. But solid food, meat, belongs to those who are of full age. Well, what does that mean? How do I get mature? That is those who by reason of use, you're seeking after, you're asking, you're drawing near, you're listening. Of use have their senses exercised to judge, to discern both good and evil. You're concerned about it. You're not just off saying, wait a minute, there is a left side you can be fishing on the waters of the world. There is a right side, the will of God, the spirit of God, led by God in the word of righteousness. There's a place to be in the fellowship. God allows them to all be together and says, don't pull the goats out. Don't yank the tears out because you'll damage a real Christian. But the word here, I think, is so amazing. The word exercise there, uh, it is gunadzo. Gunadzo. That tells me a whole lot, Greg. It's spelled like this, though. G-Y-M. Jim. N-A-Z-O. And it's pronounced gunadzo. We would pronounce it gymnasium. Because it's a place to go for exercise. It's to practice it's to train and to be open and real before God and understand that all of this 
we're practicing righteousness. All of this, we're learning the word of righteousness. All of this is a race and we're learning to run to win as we're being sanctified and washed and cleansed through the washing of the water and the word. Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. But guess what this means? It actually means to exercise and practice and train naked. Isn't that weird? No covering. Don't cover up your sin. Don't cover up and act like it's okay and pretend. It's naked. you got to be open before God. It's all going to be one day open before God. He sees everything anyway. Why am I bringing this up? Because this is what we're doing. Here I am, Lord. They don't know, but you know I'm naked before you. And you're my only covering. I'm not hiding. They were naked and they made fig leaves and they hid themselves from God. Remember that? Be real with God. Come to God. Confess it to God. Ask God about it. This is how we exercise. This is how we train. Get into the Word. Read the Word systematically. Begin to listen to authority and obey. Not authority that's telling you to go rob banks. Although some of us might want to rob banks. That's where they keep the money. So maybe we want to. I don't know. Why did I take you here? Because Peter's having his senses trained. He's naked in the boat. He took off his covering and is out there fishing. And then the grace of God says, verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, we know that's John, God's gracious gift, said to Peter, the grace of God, said to the, the rock, the stone, It's the Lord! Couldn't recognize him, couldn't see him. He gave some instruction. It sounded like we should do it. We've been fishing all night. It's a new day. There's eight of us. It's a new beginning. Now, when Simon Peter heard, look at that, heard, stone, heard. Uh, Simon, Simeon means heard, hearing. Hearing, Peter heard the voice of God, that it was the Lord. He heard the grace of God. That's the only way you're going to hear the voice of God, is through the grace of God, by the Spirit of God. I know that sounds difficult, but if you hear anything that's true about the Bible, it's from the Spirit of God. If you get an insight that's true, it's from the Spirit of God. Nothing good dwells in the flesh. If you hear it in the flesh, you'll write a book about it. I'm teasing. I jest. Something wrong with me. You shouldn't say stuff like that, Greg. When he heard it was the Lord, what did he do? He put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. He heard, he put on, he girt is the King James. He girt, he girded his loins with truth. He girt himself because he had taken off his fisher's coat, is what the King James said. See, he was a fisher of men. And he had taken off his fisher's coat. It's, a, it's an outer garment, a kind of linen blouse or frock that fishermen would use to do their work. And then he did cast himself. He became, he cast himself into the water. Look at this. We say he's impetuous. We say he runs out in front of everybody. We say he stepped on the water before with, with caution. This time when he knew it was the Lord, he plunged in. He dove in. He threw himself into the water to get to the Lord. That's pretty amazing. 
That's because his senses are being exercised and that's who he was missing all along. That's where he needed to be all along. He wanted to get to the Lord. He wasn't even waiting for the other guys in the boat. I say that's a good thing. I don't say that's a bad thing. I think he should have waited. Yes, as a good leader, but he'll get there. Wait till you see him after the Holy Spirit comes up on him. Jesus is going to talk to him for 40 days. Jesus is going to tell him to go and wait in the upper room and tell him that the promise of the Father is going to come. And then the Holy Spirit comes up on him and he goes out and preaches a sermon and 3,000 people get saved. Not because of who Peter is, but because of who, which voice, which authority Peter listened to. And God give him the grace to obey and to stand up and speak because that was his gift. That's what he was called to do. I love it. He cast himself. He threw himself into the water. It's the second time this has happened to him. He's being trained. I don't know if the Holy Spirit's the third time. But that's verse 7. Are you going to plunge yourself into the water to the Holy Spirit? You're going to cast yourself in and get to Jesus? The only way you're going to get there is if the Holy Spirit gets you there. You've got to get in the water. got to get in the water fishing on the right side of the boat and every you know when they were not able to draw the net it actually is no one comes to the father unless the or excuse me no one comes to the son unless the father draws him i mean it's the same thing it's the same uh scripture there's actually a couple of them that that have that that's what the Holy Spirit does. He draws you to the love of God. And it's also interesting. I'm just pointing it out just to be noticing. And in chapter 19, when John, when, when the Bible says uh, that disciple which Jesus loved, the word filio is used for Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It's a, it's a friendship. When the word is used here in chapter 21, in verse 7, it's the word agape. So there's a difference in the growth. The sense is being exercised and you understand the agape love. You come to that. You're being led to it. Now that'll be important for next week when God restores Peter and he starts with agape and he ends with filio. He meets him at his where he's at just like he did with this fishing boat here. He comes and meets them where they're at and then allows them to decide if they want to listen to instruction, if they want to obey, they want to come back under his authority, or they want to keep doing stuff their own way. So he plunged and he cast himself in to the sea. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking that's what we got to do to be a witness. We got to become the bait. We got to cast ourselves into the sea. Isn't that interesting? I, went, I always wanted to write a, 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 a series of books, uh, probably my flesh, uh, called uh, the Tackle Box Series. The Tackle Box Series. Because if we're fishers of men, of souls, then we have to have a tackle box. And right here it is. So why do I need to write a book? This is the Tackle Box because everything's done with the word of God, which is debate. When you cast it on the water and, and, and you plunge in and you tell somebody about the word of God, the truth. And then if, they, if the spirit is working in their life, in their heart, in their conscience, they grab a hold of that bait. 
And that's how you catch men. That's how you catch people, souls to be saved, is with the truth of God, the love of God, the salvation of God, that judgment has been given and Christ has taken it, and now he freely offers life. And you don't have to keep swimming in the waters of the world. You can start living on the right side of the boat and stop with the left side of the boat. And you can bear fruit. You can have fish. Ictus. You guys know what ictus is? A lot of people don't. They used to have a, a down in Buck, uh, down in uh, Kentucky, they had a conference called ictus. They had a bunch of Christian bands. But an ictus is what, during persecution, when you couldn't talk about Jesus at all, during persecution, what would happen in public, if you, if you were in public as a Christian, you would take your foot and draw one half of a fish. And if they were a Christian, they'd draw the other half. And it was an ictus. And now you could actually talk about the Lord without being afraid that Nero's soldiers were going to arrest you and kill you. That's what ictus is. That's what a fish is. So the grace of God opens their eyes, says it's the Lord. He dives in the water. Verse 8. Again, new beginning. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, that's 300 feet, dragging the net with fish, with, with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. So there's, there's this whole meal on the bank already prepared Christ has already made it. The bread of life is standing there and he's got bread there. And really, it's so interesting when you look at this and you look them up. Um, uh, and I like to do that. It's a bed of burning coals. It's heaped up there. Uh, but the fish is a relish of other foods, but especially fish. So there's some other mixture things going on there. And it's outstretched or laid there. But bread means as raised so Jesus is proving and showing himself and it's evident that he's the first fruits of the resurrection and he's raised from the grave and that's what the bread means as raised. It's a loaf, but it's a food compound of flour mixed with water and then baked. Everybody knows that, right? Baked, you have to go through the fire to become like the bread of life who was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And you would think, man, well, God's providing all my needs. God's doing everything. How did he get this food here? I don't need to do anything. But look what he says in verse 10. Perfect completion. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. He wants us to be involved. He wants us to. He's not saying, he's not saying, why did you even go out there and go fishing? We don't need none of that fish. I just miraculously put some here on the fire and it's all ready. Just eat. No, he uses what we do. We're privileged. We're called to follow. We're going out fishing and we're bringing it all in and he uses it all together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Even though the mill is already there, even though he's already done everything, what we do is, is not useless for God. He's going to reward us for our works. He's going to reward us with our obedience. You could have stayed fishing on the left side or you can listen to instruction and fish on the right side. 
And then, again, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. I don't need to. Why would I bring them? You've already got the whole meal made. I'm just going to sit down and eat your food. See, the instruction is still there, and we still have to listen to the instruction. And notice what Simon Peter does, because he's always right there trying to do the right thing, sometimes with the wrong motives, sometimes not by the Spirit, sometimes out ahead, but his senses are being trained. He's learning, he's growing, he's going, not hiding anymore. He went up and dragged the net to land by himself. They're all struggling to do it. He went and did it by himself full of large fish, and then we're given the number, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Listen, the word means uh, not to be split or severed. Is that important to you guys? See, Caesar means severed. That's what Caesar's trying to do. Another authority is trying to sever you from God again. That's what happened in the garden. Another authority severed another voice. And now Caesar's trying to sever us again and be our authority. But all those fish were in there and none were lost except for the son of perdition. The net's not going to be broken. There's going to be in heaven from every tongue and tribe and nation. None is going to be lost. Can't figure out what 153 means, but it's a perfect number. I even tried adding the seven to it and go, 160, you know, because there's seven others because they're the fish too. They got, oh, anyway, never mind. Everybody has tried. The net is not broken. And then Jesus said to them, come. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and eat breakfast. Sit down and have a meal with me. Yet none of the disciples durst, is that it, durst? None of the disciples dared. Ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Now see, I got a weird brain. Who are you? Listen, he's the authority. I got a weird brain. I grew up in a crazy time and there was a band called the who and they wrote a song called who are you and my and when i read that line that's what i hear i woke up this morning in someone's doorway a policeman knew my name he said you can go sleep at home tonight if you can get up and walk away and then he did some stuff about leaning back and hiccuping and look back on it no the, the point is is he's saying who are you who are you he's the authority He's the one saying that you can go sleep at home tonight if you're able to get up and walk away. It's a song about authority. It's what the devil's always been trying to get us to do. Question the authority. They never ask him because they know who he is. Their senses are being trained even though they don't recognize him right there. They're learning. This is God. God's at work. God's doing this. This is Jesus. We're not going to ask him. We're, not going, we're just going to listen to his instruction and enjoy the meal and obey and fish on the right side and know that he's here with us always. And we're going to stop questioning his authority. And godliness with contentment is great gain. See, there's going to be some things happening in your life you're not going to like, but it's going to produce godliness. And we need to be content with it and not question God's authority 
because he knows what he's doing. He's trying to get us across the finish line. You and I are just trying to get the next meal. And we need to train ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to train us that we would have food to eat that you know not of, just like Jesus did when he was talking to this Samaritan woman. And we need to learn that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what he's leading these disciples to. And it has to be done by the Holy Spirit as we obey and listen and believe and understand the, the power that the Holy Spirit gives us to go fishing with God's word for souls. Thirteen, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. So now, see, he had taught them to do it. Here, break this, listen, go out, hand it out, have the people sit down in little crowds. Now he's there serving them a meal. And he's serving us now. Listen, the table's prepared in the presence of our enemies. There's a table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies, just like the good shepherd always does. Psalms 23, memorize it. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was, again, the testimony of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit, raised from the dead. Have you been raised from the dead? Have you given your life to Christ? Are you now alive, a new creation? And we need to listen to the Holy Spirit and stay on his right side. And stop going to the left side, the wrong side, the world side, and fishing in the waters of this world. Get in the boat. It's a fellowship. We all want to be in the boat. And we're all supposed to do our part with our gifts and talents and abilities. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for calling us out of darkness. Thank you for knitting us together as a little body of believers, Lord, in our little Jerusalem for such a time as this. And we just pray, Lord, that we would have our senses exercised and you would cover our nakedness. Lord, we don't want to cover it with leaves. We know that when we get to the end, on the other side in Revelation 22, 2, the leaves are for the healing of the nation. So cover us, Lord. Thank you for clothing us and preparing us as a bride made ready for her groom so we can walk down that aisle on that day, Lord. Even so, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We give you praise. Everyone says, Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I am.